So we're back. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Grand Slam Tennis Podcast. And Barry Flatman is back with us. We haven't scared him off. Barry, how's it going? Very well, thank you. Excellent. Well. How's it going with you? Yeah, not bad, not bad, thank you. We have rather a lot to get through uh, <laughs> this week. Um, obviously, we come a week after some quite amazing finals in Flushing Meadows. So we'll start off with them, then we'll get on some... Uh, some other news around the tennis world ahead of the Asia swing, including the return of Kim Kleisters. I think, well, we're going to hear from uh, Barry, but he's not particularly optimistic. <laughs> but we'll get on to that later. First of all, two incredible finals in Flushing Meadows. Let's start with Andreescu. Um, a year ago, she was 208 in the world. Now she's number five. She's won 14 matches on the trot and a fourth uh, on a, and on her fourth appearance at a major. Um, she's tied with Monica Sellers for the fastest winning a major title. Um, and perhaps most staggering of all, after defeating Serena Williams um, the other Saturday, she is an 8-0 career record against the top 10. I mean, Barry, what can we say about this amazing performance? Is it is it one of the best slam runs you've ever seen? Yes, without doubt. I mean, she just, Andreescu just exuded confidence from, from start to finish. And in, in, the, in the final, if you didn't know, you, you wouldn't know which was the nervous debutant in a final and, and which was the composed, uh, assured veteran of, of playing at the highest level of the game. There's no doubt about it. Serena Williams was more nervous than Andrescu from, from the very first rally. And we're used to seeing Williams have this fear factor, isn't she? doesn't she? She has this kind of effect on her opponents of winning almost by a reputation. That's a little bit harsh, maybe, but we, we've seen well, it over the years, haven't we? You make a case now of Williams' fear factor being about Williams herself and the ability or inability to, to tie Margaret Court's record because mm. it's now, that's the fourth time it's happened. And mm. uh, for a player of her experience, of her stature, of her place in the game, you know, arguably the greatest woman ever to swing a tennis racket, to, mm. to dissolve into a, a basket of nerves in, in a final is 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 what well, must be very concerning to Serena herself. Absolutely, we'll get on to Serena in a little bit because, as you mentioned, this is this has now happened quite a few times on the on the big stage, doesn't it, for Serena? Um, and in terms of the fear factor she's always had over opponents, I always think of that that Heather Watson match. I mean bit of a kind of uh, Brit-centric perspective, but that's one that always sticks in my mind, that one at Wimbledon under the roof when Heather Watson was serving out for it. And she was so nervous. Even though she only need, needed to win four points, you could just tell the idea of beating Serena Williams was just too much. And it just felt like she had this insurmountable hurdle to get over to, to close it out. You feel like she doesn't have that effect on people any, anymore. Anyway, um, the match itself... Uh, Kevin Mitchell wrote that it was like Serena Williams was playing herself in 1999. Uh, would you agree with that, Barry? I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't a spectacular match, was it? But um, I guess the point well, it was is that it was, it was, yeah, until yeah, the, yeah. The end, it was very one sided, so mm. that doesn't make it spectacular. Yeah, yeah. Williams said she thought this was the worst match she played all tournament, but do you think it was just a matter of Andreescu not letting her play well? There was a, there, yes, certainly that was there, but Serena Williams, eight double faults. Yep. 39% yep. first serve. You mm. know, that's, that's, 
she will tell you herself, that is just not good enough. And uh, it's something that she would be horrified about in a, in a Grand Slam final. Yeah, yeah. And it's worth mentioning that three of those double faults were on break points as well, weren't break they? Points, yeah. Yeah, we talk yeah. about Andreescu being able to deal well with the pressure. Serena kind of helped her out, didn't she? Well, there's, a, there's an old, old saying in tennis, the big players really come through on the big points. Mm. And on, on the big points, I'm afraid, Serena Williams was found horribly wanting. Yeah, yeah. A uh, couple of notable stats from this match. 44% of first serves for Serena. That's 15% down on a kind of year-to-date rate. Uh, then 30% won on second serve for Serena. Um, that was that was quite notable, wasn't it? The way that Andreescu was bullying Serena off the second serve. I mean, the, the, the match point. She just yeah. frightened out there. She, yeah. she said, come on, show me what you got. Bring it on and mm. I'll, 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 I'll play back at you. And that's what she did. Yeah, yeah. Um, worth saying that Serena's double fault rate is still way off Yelena Ostapenko's rate. Uh, this is something I didn't realise. She hit forty wonderful faults in her three matches, uh, and they're all they're all they're all straight set matches as well. But only four unforced errors on the forehand as well for Andreescu, which I that was the that was the best stat of all for me because that the way she was going after a forehand as well, and yet she only made four unforced errors. Yes, yes, it it was it was truly wondrous to behold. Yeah, for, yeah, for a young. Yeah, you know, and for her to come through and do that shows she is, but rather something rather special. Do you think we can mention her in the same breath as Williams in '99 or Sellers in 1990? Well, you know, they are they are legends of the game, and what they went on to achieve um, puts them head and shoulders above a lot of other players. Mm. Uh, I. It's always dangerous to to blow up a, a good new young successful player um, as being a future legend because yeah. sometimes it just doesn't work out like that. But on the on the basis of not just what she did at the U.S. Open than this year, she she won Indian Wells, she won Toronto, which for a Canadian is a big deal. Um, you know what she's done this year makes you think that she is destined for very great things in, in the game of ladies tennis. I found it interesting they both um, impressed, they were both asked if they thought they were similar players and they both said they thought they were both fighters. That's really yes. a quality that Andreescu seems to have and she shouldn't seem to... In the same way that Medvedev didn't flinch from the fight, she didn't. There's kind of the old adage, isn't there, of fight or flight. Um, and I think it always applies, particularly in tennis. And yeah, but no- the difference between the two finals is Medvedev had to go two sets behind to crank himself. True. You know, just yeah. let it all rip. Yeah. Whereas from start to finish, Andrescu was just in Serena's face, and, and there was no way for Serena to go. Yeah. No, I said that is absolutely the case, isn't it? Yeah, she came out of the box, didn't she? Uh, Andrescu broke Serena immediately, didn't she? At the start of the match. Um, yeah. And so Andreescu becomes the first millennial to win a slam, of course, which is, of course, thoroughly depressing for us all. Um, and she, uh, her, her coach has been mentioning a bit how she might have benefited, he thinks, from a kind of element of surprise as well. Just to go back to your point about being careful to, to build people up, because obviously 
this time last year we were saying about the same about Osaka. Of course, she's still number two in the world, but she has had a difficult year. There is always that element of surprise, isn't there, for a player of this type? And it's going to be interesting to see how she folds it up next year, isn't it? Yeah, although, as I say, look at those those other two big tournaments she's won this year, Indian Wells, Toronto. You know, yeah. they're, bit, they're not, they're not yeah. little um, no-pressure events. They yeah. are for yeah. a Canadian to win Toronto. And Indian Wells is, you know, it's a cliche, but is it the fifth Grand Slam? I, you know, it's not far short of it now. Mm. Um, and she, she looked good in both of those. So you've got to say, she's got a lot going for her, this kid. But for every Slam victor, there is the gracious runner-up. And for the fourth time running, it's Serena. Um, she's well, obviously Serena, a gracious runner-up. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, she uh, she takes up the role reluctantly, doesn't she? Uh, yeah. Um, but now, yeah, that's four slams, slam finals in a row now. Um, obviously, to to Kerber in Wimbledon 2018, Osaka last year, the US, then Halep at Wimbledon, and now Andreescu. They've all been straight sets as well. Uh, and she yeah, previously they close. no, they close. exactly. Um, she previously previously lost just six of twenty nine finals, so Serena's still waiting for a title after returning from pregnancy, of course. But do you think this is the the best tournament performance you've seen from her in the last eighteen months, Barry? Yes, uh, yes, until the final. I mean, she, you know, look at some of the results: six one, six one against Sharapova, admittedly, you know, far from fully fit Sharapova, but in the final, six three six one against Spitalina, who is yeah. at the top of her game. You have to say that the draw worked in Serena's uh, favour uh, after Sharapova and before Svitolina. There was nothing too much to be frightened of. But you just wonder how how many more chances is she going to get to to tie Margaret Court's record? You know, she's thirty eight years old in what well, a matter of days now. Um, so you know that's that's nobody goes on forever in this game. Mm-hmm. Ask Roger Federer. Yeah, yeah, we'll come on to him later. Um, so what, what do you think? My impression of it now is that tennis used to kind of stop for Serena, didn't it? And now there seems to be a group of players that are pulling away from her in terms of game style and they're outmanoeuvring Serena when yeah. they come up against her. What needs well, to everything change? Evolved. Everything in life evolves. Yeah. And so is the sport of women's tennis. Yeah, and she's suddenly being left behind, isn't she? What, what, what do you think she... Because, I don't know, we always talk about in the men's game how Nadal, Federer have adapted as they've got older. Serena hasn't had to do that as of yet, has she? No. What does she I need mean, to it's, change it's, in a game? It's a, it's a well-used saying, but you know, I ask the question, is she match tough at mm. the moment? Does she play enough to be match tough, to mm. really hone her game? Or does she think she just walks out on court, let's rip with a couple and, and she's back in the groove? Um I personally question whether she will ever get that level ever again because, you know, given the fact she's nearly 38 years old, given the fact that she's a mother, um, given the fact that that she does have a propensity to get injured more so than a lot of other players, I'm just wondering whether she will ever achieve that, that level of consistency that's needed to... I don't think she dreams in her own mind that she's going to be world number one ever again because she just doesn't play enough tournaments for that but not playing that amount of tournaments has other uh, inherent problems and uh, I think Serena is finding those out at the moment So do you think it's a long shot 
thinking that she's going to match Court's record or go one better next year? Well, yeah, we'll get to the Australian Open in January and, and, and everyone will be, if she's playing, because there's no given that she's going to be playing, but if she's playing, mm. then, then the main talking point, well, well is Serena going to finally do it? She's had more close shaves. Is this going to be the one that she does it? Mm. Um, only... Only time will tell. Only time will tell. But there are a bunch of younger players, and, it, and not just Andrescu, but look, look at Belinda Benchit. She came through, yeah. finally proved herself a top flight player, semi-final. Mm. Svitolina, I think, has got to win a slam soon. She, she won the WTA finals last year, mm. but she's, she's got it within her to, to win a slam. Um, uh, Ash Barty, on, on, yeah. on home turf. You know, yeah. that's going to be a good one to watch. So, it, it, you can't say Serena, as long as she keeps body and soul together for seven matches, is, is going to end up as a, as a champion and, and equal Margaret Court. Yeah. Yeah, that's the big difference now, isn't it? It's no longer on her racket. But uh, moving on to the men anyway, uh, it's now 12 consecutive Grand Slam titles for the big three. Uh, but boy, it was close. Nadal had only lost one in 205 matches where he was two sets up. And he was against Fognini on the same court in 2015. That was a very different Nadal, of course. But Medvedev caused him problems in a way that brought back that kind of bad Nadal in a way, didn't it? Um, what did the Russian do so effectively? And what changed in the third set for you, Barry? What, what changed was that Medvedev thought, well, if I don't do something now, I'm never going to do it. Mm. So he just... He just threw caution to the wind and, and went for it. Um, and Nadal unquestionably tightened up. You know, again, a player, a player like Rafa Nadal, with all of his achievements in the game, just got got tight, got nervous. And, and Medvedev saw it and used it. And uh, it's credit to Nadal that he, he managed to turn it round again in the pit. But it was a, it was a great, great marathon of a fight. Uh, just a few numbers to to back up. Barry's point there. So Medvedev, you could tell he was turning the screw in the same way that he did against Djokovic in Cincinnati when it wasn't going his way. And then he just thought, ah, screw it. I'm going to I'm gonna really go for it. He won 58% of his points on second serve in, in the third set. He was down at 44% in the first. And then he won 64% of, of his points in, in set four on his second. It's only 1% less than he was winning on his first. He was absolutely leathering the ball. He really was. Um, yeah. And another interesting thing, Nadal came to the net 66 times in the match, didn't he? Served and volleyed 20 times. Which which is usually Nadal's last chance salute. Absolutely. Really, yeah. 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 He is he is a great volleyer. There's no two ways. If you wanted to play that way more regularly, he'd be, he'd be very, very good at it. But he doesn't, you know, that's not his game. Yeah. And, and Carlos, Nadal's coach, said he was a, he was surprised by the way Medvedev came out and played it. Almost changed his tactics in the third set, but one factor, one factor. Um, I, you know, I'm not always the greatest fan of the New York, the Arthur Ashe Stadium crowd. I, yeah. I think they can be disrespectful. I think they can, you know, they're, they're, they're just there to shout and holler. They're not really there to watch a tennis match. So, you know, they could yeah. be watching the New York Yankees or, <laughs> or, or whatever. Mm. But you know, they just like making a lot of noise. But they, they managed get behind Medvedev uh, barely a week after booing him and deriding him and, and you know thinking he, you know he, he is, was the enemy they managed to inspire him 
and, and that certainly played a factor in, in Nadal getting tight as well because all of a sudden this 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 crowd that usually adores him is, is suddenly against him and Nadal's Nadal's a sensitive soul you know let's let's be he he, he, he isn't this almost no bit Djokovic like player who really sort of okay if they don't like me well that's that's, that's their lookout but uh, it, things very much changed out there for him and, and, and I think it is a credit to the champion that Nadal is that he managed to right the ship in the fifth set and uh, and come through the storm yeah well we saw he wasn't a big kind of the Kismo figure, didn't we? In the end of the in the end of the match, in the in the during the ceremony, when he was seeing his nineteen slams put up on the big screen, he was sobbing, wasn't he? He was he weeping like a little boy. He usually gets very happy in uh, in his hour of victory, but I've never seen him quite that emotional before. Yeah, yeah, that was, it. Was yeah, it was interesting, wasn't it? Cause it I don't know. He, a lot of his comments as well afterwards were. Um, this is probably the nature of the questions that were put to him, but. A lot of his comments were about how the clock is ticking, and he was he came he came out with quite a philosophical comment. Actually, he said, uh, "Oh yeah, the big three, they were, we're all getting old. Um, time is oh, that's, that's, ticking that's away." That's, that. Yeah, he said that's part of the cycle of life that uh, that we're, we're going to come to an end soon. Yeah, you can't argue with it. But he did seem very um, wistful, almost. I don't know. Well, he also said that. Um, Medvedev is the best of the next generation. Uh, would you Would you agree with that, Barry? Well, on on results, um, yeah, you know, I mean, we're still waiting for, for Sasha Zverev to. All right, he won he won the ATP finals last year, but in a slam, we're still waiting for Sasha Zverev to perform. We hope for a bit more for, from Stepanos City Pass, um, yeah. but you know. He's done well in slams before, so he, he can be allowed one really bad first round exit. Um, who else could we look at? Well, you know, I suppose Borna Koric is now a bit bit more experienced than, than being a new kid in the block. Um, Albert Yen, Shapovalov, the two Canadians, didn't didn't do it at all in the in this U.S. Open. Um, uh, Rublev, maybe Rublev. Hashinov, yeah. Um, Hashinov was going to be the one to break through first, but yeah. uh, that hasn't been the case. Rublev has been held back by injuries and mm. so forth. Mm. So uh, on the, on that basis, Medvedev um, is is the one at the moment who who you know, and the rankings will back that up. There he is mm. at number five in the world. So we will we can only see what happens next time out because sometimes you know it doesn't follow through. Look at Green. Everyone thought he was going to be, he was going to be the next thing. Yeah. Really happened. Did well. Did, did well. Did well in this this U.S. Open. Um, yeah. But you know the the high watermark of his career has still been winning uh, the ATP Finals at the O2 a couple of years mm. ago. So mm. you really expect more from a player of that ability. Yeah, well, yeah, Dimitrov has now risen from 78 in the world to 25 after his run to the semi-finals. I do feel a little guilty because I kind of laid into him last uh, when we last spoke. Uh, they actually ended up beating Federer in five sets and going on a decent run. But as you say, yeah, it, it, is, a, it is a kind of a lesson for all the young players, isn't it? The the the, the rise and fall of Grigor Dimitrov and you could say Raonic as well, who were in that, that same next-gen bracket. Yeah, five years ago, weren't they? Is, is a, you know, it's, it's 
Please. Yeah, we'll get to, a, to, a, to this tournament. It's, yeah. it's sad, really. Yeah. Um, does he overtrain? Does it? Has he built his body up to be so susceptible that you know even the faintest glitch will leave him injured? I don't know, but uh, it's is it's quite a worrying habit for Milos Raonic now. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you mentioned about schedules. Medvedev, he's had incredibly intense summer. So he crashed out of Wimbledon. And I remember I was actually there when he lost against Goffin at Wimbledon. It was an incredibly acrimonious end to the match. His coach was... Oh, was that the one where he's throwing um, money at the... Um, yep, yeah, the he threw, threw money yeah. at the umpire. And then his coach at the end, he walked up the stairs past me and he threw his phone down on the floor smashed his phone and just left his <laughs> left his phone on court too. Uh, it was really bizarre. It was really bizarre. He'd had a massive fallout with his box, basically, um, Medvedev, towards the end of the match, and he was kind of slumped shoulders, and even though it was five sets, he was bitterly, bitterly disappointed. Um, and, well, ever since then, he's not really looked back, though, has he? Because finals in Washington, Canada, and the title of Cincinnati, with that amazing defeat of Djokovic, and then a first slam final here, uh, at Flushing Meadows, yeah, it's been it's, it's been an amazing summer. But you do worry about whether he's overstretching himself a little bit. He's already announced he's playing Auckland next year, um, and we saw all that strapping on Medvedev, didn't we? But yes, you, you yeah. talked about players being able to play through pain last week. He seems to be one of those, doesn't he? Certainly, certainly, certainly. And the, the ones mental and physical. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Um, one stat as well, one more stat from this match. Nadal uh, covered almost 22,000 feet and Medvedev uh, just 20,500. Um, he, he he has this amazing way of pacing himself, doesn't he, Medvedev? He, almost in a Kyrgios-like way, doesn't he? He sometimes just tanks games to, to save himself and then gives it the big one when it really matters, doesn't he? Um, yeah. Um, the difference, the difference being, is that Medvedev has proven that that he, you know, for all his, you know, annoying the US crowd and giving them the <laughs> finger and everything like that, he can still go out and do it in a Grand yeah. Slam final. And we are still waiting for Mr. Kyrgios to uh, to prove to us that he is more than just talent and uh, and a loud voice. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, Kyrgios just seems to be a kind of more of a. Twitter personality right now than a real tennis player, doesn't he? Whereas Medvedev's yeah. back to and it I all. think that's very sad. I, I, you know, all right, he, he brings interest to the game of tennis, and, and the younger generation adore him. I've got two daughters, and, and they both think that, uh, you know, why, why, do, why do you write about other players? Kyrgios is a player. Well, once he, won, once he wins something of note, then, then maybe you might have an argument. But, but at the moment, all he seems to get. Uh, reported on is for misbehaviour and uh, that doesn't do anyone any good yeah well we're gonna we're gonna have a curious ban on the rest of the uh, the rest of the podcast okay, now that, that, we've had our word on him um, the inevitable question now Barry do you see Nadal finishing top of the all time three uh, the all time tree rather but it is an all time wow. three as well obviously Federer Nadal and Djokovic in the race the most and out of Grand Slams, he's on 19. Very interesting now, as you say, it's just down to one title now. Mm. Now, a few years ago, I can remember having a conversation with my sports editor and saying, well, look, Nadal's more or less, you know, Nadal is, is seriously injured, his knees are a massive problem. 
to go on much longer. And uh, he wasn't even close to Federer then in terms of titles. But now, you know, Federer's, Federer was far from fit in New York. Djokovic had to pull out. Murray, well, we, I, we don't know whether we're ever going to see Murray being the, the, the truly top-functioning Andy Murray ever again. Mm. And yet Nadal appears to be, you know, on course to... To, to, to win many, many more. The US Open, the, the problems that Nadal takes onto a court in terms of his knees and his back and everything like that, the US Open is the hardest one for him to win. And he's, mm. he's gone and done it three times, uh, twice in the last three years. So, so you know... Well, four, I, four times now, four better. times now. Yeah. Nadal has got better doctors than the other guy. Like with every slam, my mind change. I, I I kind of think, yeah, oh well, exactly. Djokovic is unstoppable, but then he sometimes just seems to not care. That <laughs> just doesn't turn up for a tournament, or and then I'm thinking, well, if Federer gets one or two more, then I think that really changes the complexion of things. I'm fairly sure now that I don't think Federer is going to be the one. I I, I do think it's going to be one of Djokovic or Nadal, and I think it's yeah. more likely to be Nadal now. The way. He's he's got at least two more French Opens in him, surely, hasn't he? You, you, you... Well, you would think so. Yeah. But then, but then, who'd who'd have thought that Federer would get into the physical state that he, you know, Federer seen glide through his matches and he didn't glide yeah. at all in in this tournament. Mm. So um, yeah, you, you change your mind at the start of every slam, really, about this lot. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, and just talk about Nadal's injuries, we we. We must remember that in 2018 he had an interminable stream of different injuries, didn't he? With um, he withdrew or retired from 11 of the 12 hardcore events he played. Um, he hates hard. I mean, yeah. I, I can remember um, him him talking about hardcore and saying he didn't he didn't enjoy playing on hardcore. You know, it's, wow. it's unfair the amount of hardcore matches they play and they should play more on clay. This is obviously you can say that. Um, and 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 you know. Some of the treatments he's had on to, to get his knees through the American hardcore summer, um, with the, you know putting blood plasma in yeah. injections, horrible injections straight into his kneecap. Um, but you know here we are, and he's, he's, he's even said that you know the bandages he has around his legs they've stopped working now, but he still keeps on rolling. It, it did look. It kind of looks like he'd turned back time ten years, something with the sleeveless top and uh, the kind of the visceral roar he was getting out every every so often. It, it yeah, he he's a man that defies time. We've said it, Federer, and we can say it now certainly of Nadal. And I guess we're also glad as well that we've had a historic match like that in a final now between one of the big three and the so-called next gen. Because I think it would have been a real shame if they'd kind of. Past without ever having these mo a moment like this. Um, yeah, no disrespect to the likes of Kevin Anderson and people like that, but yeah. they've got to Grand Slams finals and then they thought, well, the job is done, and and they didn't, you know. And I'm not saying Kevin Anderson 
Medvedev, by contrast, wasn't happy with losing in straight sets, was he? Patiently, he dug in. That proved more than anything this summer that he is the business, isn't he? Because he just really dug in and really took it to Nadal, even when his back was right against the wall. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. He's now qualified for the race to London, of course. Um, and on that, team looks safe to qualify for London. Uh, of course, it's the last time the ATP finals are going to be there. Um, Sits passing is, is in a strong position. We're going to get onto him in a second. Then any of Bautista, Agu, Nishikori, Berrettini, Zverev, Goffin, Monfils and Fognini could make up the last two. There's only 400 points separating those uh, those six. Um, so, um, moving on to the Asia swing. Djokovic scheduled to return in Tokyo. Can we take any lessons from the last couple of weeks, Barry? Or are we just putting it down to injury, what's gone on with Djokovic? Uh, well, uh, first of all, returning to the Asian swing, I think Djokovic has got to be absolutely right to contemplate getting back on court. Um, yeah. Or, you know, I can't see any point in him going and playing this tournament half to half cock. Um, he, he's got to be fully fit because mm. if he's not, then, then more injuries are going to occur. Mm. Um I, I'm not sure that, that Djokovic thinks that way. Um, but that, having said that, he, he, he actually pulled out of a grand slam. Uh, it's not the first time he's done that. Um, I think I think we're at the point now where he's really got to listen to those advising him. Um, you know, he, he went back to Marion Bider after uh, Boris Becker and, and, and the very strange experiment with the... Uh, with the um, Spanish mind coach, um, I think he's got to listen to what Marianne is, is saying to him mm. because um, he's a very single-minded man, Novak Djokovic, and when you speak to him or when you listen to him talking to others, you you get the feeling that he's not really listening to what anyone else is saying and he's just more intent on his own words. Mm. Well, in this case, um, he's got to take advice and, and know when is the right time to play and when it is the right time to rest. Um, yeah. Let's just see if that happens. Yeah. How do you how do you think Djokovic does? How do you think his mind works then? If if he's not kind of trying to pace himself, do you think he's just I don't know in in the kind of Andy Murray mold in 2016? He just wants to keep pushing it and keep competing rather than let himself have a break. Well, he's, a, he's an incredibly self-assured young man, that's fair to say. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would like to think that, that sensibility will prevail after this last episode mm. and he will know his capabilities. But, you know, Novak Djokovic is, is an open book in many respects, but he, in others, he doesn't let too much slip. So all we can do is just wait and see. Federer also struggled with injury, of course, in that five-set defeat to Dimitrov. He was reluctant to attribute it to his injury, but he clearly was not in the best way. He was very, very down afterwards, wasn't he? I've he never was. seen Federer quite that down. Oh, really? Okay. What do you think we can read into it then? Do you think he's... I don't know. Do you think Do you think that was a bit of a kind of dawning for him, that match? And... Well, he's 38 years old. Yeah, you know, I mean, are we going to have a forty-year-old Grand Slam <laughs> champion? I, I don't know. But he's he's thirty-eight now. Is it? Yeah. Nobody could say, you know, poor old Roger Federer is struggling <laughs> because he's not struggling. You know, he's, he's won everything there is to win. He's he's got 
And I've always said about Federer, when the end comes, it will come quite quickly. Um, now, I'm not saying this is the end, because he's proved us all wrong a few times, but, you know, just the, just the very numbers, you know, 38 years of age suggests that he can't be going out there and competing on a level playing field against teenagers, if you want, you know, who are going to be that much fitter than him. It's... Um, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. And only Roger Federer wouldn't know when the time is right. I mean, uh, I think the, the the common wisdom, isn't it, is that he's going to try and see out Tokyo at least next year, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, but, but um, we've, said that about, we've said that about the last Olympics. Yeah, it's true. Olympics true. before that. Yeah. So is there, is there anything else you'd like to bring to the table, Barry, from, from this US Open? Um, I mean, perhaps a word on Conta, maybe. She... Ended up having a, a decent run again, quarterfinals, but came up short against Vitalina. Yeah, you know, it's, it's the same same Joe Conta, really, isn't it? That, that looks so good, looks so good, and then when push comes to shove, dissolves into just a pile of dust. Um, <laughs> I, it, it, it's too it's too easy to be fiercely critical of Johanna Conta, and she, you know, she is the best thing that. British women's tennis has had in, in many, many, many moons since Joe Jury. Um, but you can't deny the results. I, I, I think we should just applaud her for doing what she has done. Um, she certainly rediscovered her best game this year after after it hit, it hit the skids, really, didn't it, last year. Um, more than that, you know, I mean, the thing about women's tennis is at the moment it is so unpredictable it mm. really is so unpredictable you just look at the number of new winners we've had in slams in mm. the last few years yeah. so you, you can't discount anyone's credentials yeah. um, and and if, if you know if, if Joe Conter goes out and wins one we shouldn't be too surprised but, but it just appears to be something and not similar to what Serena is suffering at the moment something between the ears that just tightens up yeah. when she can see the finishing line inside yeah no you're right you're completely right and the, the the one thing I would say about this match though that I thought was maybe a little bit different to her previous defeats at Wimbledon Roland Garros she did seem like she was trying a few things that were pushing herself out of her comfort zone she was hitting a lot of slices she was trying to block her returns a bit more and they weren't. It wasn't quite coming off. You can tell she wasn't really comfortable with doing those things. But you can tell she's trying to build another dimension to a game. Almost, I don't know. Maybe I'm being maybe I'm being optimistic. But it could be a case of next year she suddenly does win a major yeah, title. I wouldn't disagree with that. I wouldn't disagree with that. She certainly seems to be buying into what this this yeah. latest in a series of coaches yeah. is telling her. Yeah. But then again. True. Um, Tom Hilston, maybe uh, the way that the way those two were, were hitting it off. He was in a in a box again. He might uh, might take up the mantle. Uh, um, anything is possible with Joe Conta. It but, is. Um, I think she's got to hit some some you know consistency in in this coaching business because too many voices telling her different things will only confuse. Mm. And you know she when 
when she first broke through, she, she really appeared to be in in capacity with with her coach and her her her, um, her mind coach, and mm. that was what pushed her. You know, the process we all remember the process, <laughs> and um, and then since then, I, I've lost count of the number of coaches she's had. Um, yeah, and I think it, it must be confusing if you keep getting told different things. You always talk about it a lot in football, don't you? Of having uh, too many managers come through a club and the players get confused with too many philosophies, whatsoever, you know, and it, it become a bit of a kind of mishmash. You do feel yeah. like Conte, we were talking about the way she constructs points last week, weren't we? It feels like she hasn't sometimes got a coherent game plan. She's kind of playing shot by shot, isn't she? And I wonder if that's reflective of her coaching setup the past couple of years, maybe. One more thing, I think um, whatever was in that vacuum cleaner for Rafael Nadal at the change of ends um, at the US Open, I think uh, more players need some of that. He kept on there uh, during the final. He kept on taking this kind of this tube next to his chair and blowing yeah, it in his face. Yeah. yeah. Is, I mean, uh, is it oxygen or is it? I, I don't know. I, it's very bizarre. One very thing bizarre. It certainly didn't make him hurry up between points. No, no, no. That's what. That's what we forgot. Yeah, yeah. So I had put in the running order that we were going to have a word on this. Just a really quick word from you, Barry. Um, there was a couple of occasions, weren't there? I know we're going back now, but Nadal um, was holding his racket once Medvedev has served. To be fair, I think this is a broader point for tennis anyway, so maybe we're not backtracking too much. Um, do you think in that occasion, the point should have just been given to, to Medvedev? Because it is the server who sets the pace, right? Yes, I do. I do. I think I think somebody has got to take a really hard line with Rafa Nadal and other players that delay it between points yeah. because they know what the rules are, you know. And we've got shot clocks and everything like that now, and they still don't take a blind bit of notice. Yeah. Um, you know, if if Rafa was allowed to go in his own sweet way, then, then we'd have seven, eight-hour matches, and uh, <laughs> it's like we all know it's got. You know, a little bit of OCD. We all know he's got to put his water bottles this way, that way. We all know he's got to towel down between every point. But, you know, you've got to draw a line. And you've got to be fair to the opponent as well. And uh, I know everyone loves Rafa. I know he's the most, arguably the most popular player that's ever set foot in a tennis court. But just be just be fair to your opponent, Rafa. You know, just, mm. just give you a Yeah. Well, when I interviewed Fred Stoy a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about how big players have their favourite umpires, right? And you do feel like umpires have played by Nadal's rules, haven't they, too often? And um, Ali nearly tried to take a hard line, didn't he? Right at the start, in the first game, he gave Nadal a warning. But even then, he ended up kind of retreating back on it. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. It does Something needs to change, doesn't it? Um, anywho... Big news recently in the last few days. Kim Clijsters has announced she will return to the tour in 2020. Um, yes. Yeah, I know Barry, <laughs> Barry's already sighing at the prospect. Uh, the Belgian retired after the 2012 US Open. Um, Barry, can you remember who her last ma- singles match was against? I can. I you can. can. Because I watched it. Go on. Laura Robson. Yeah, yeah. 7-6, 7-6. 
Well, <laughs> yeah, very good question. Well, up in the commentary box with Kim Clijsters, uh, often, wasn't she, the last year? Um, so that was the end of her second stint, wasn't it, for Clijsters? Because, of course, she retired in 2007 due to injuries and start a family. She had a baby, a daughter, um, and then uh, in February 2008, and then returned to the circuit in August 2009. Um, so she told the WCA Insider podcast that the fact that a lot of mothers are trying to compete at the highest level now, that was the inspiration for her. Um, that first time round when she came back, she won the US Open, of course, in her third tournament back as an unranked wild card. Um, so Barry, Kim Clijsters, four-time Grand Slam t- champion, former world number one, winner of 41 WCA titles. Can she do it again? I very much doubt it. Ah, ah. Um, I, this, Kim Clijsters is a lovely human being. She is very good company. She always has time for everyone that wants to speak to her. She, she, you know, if every top-flight tennis player was like Kim Clijsters, the world would be a lovely place. But why? But I know, you know, she's made it perfectly clear why she's doing this. But can she be truly optimistic? You know, seven years is a long, long time to break away. She hasn't broken away from tennis. She's still been a regular commentating. She's still been had a presence at most of the majors. Mm. But but seven years on court is a long, long time. I know I know there are precedents in the female game. Kimiko Data gave it up for twelve years came back. Yeah. We've had Victoria Azarenka come back. We've had Justine Henner come back. We've had Jennifer Capriati come back. We even had Monica Sellis after the you know the regrettable stabbing mm. Mm. come back and, and do so. But they they were all much younger than Kim Clijsters. And um, what I don't want to do is see Kim Clijsters get absolutely clobbered by a a Mm. teenage opponent out there on court. Mm. Uh, I think that would be very sad to see. Um, And and she's leaving herself wide open for that, I fear. Yeah. Yeah, she she actually in this in this interview she spoke a bit about how she's been watching the younger players play as a commentator and thinking, oh my god, they're playing so well. Like they, I, I can't, I'm not sure if I'm up to that. Um, but it is worth remembering how good an athlete she was, wasn't she? Obviously, she's now thirty six. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, but we, we, you know, the thing you always think about Kim Clijsters is, is when she used to do the splits on the baseline yeah. and get up and. and, and How good was she at her, at her peak? Any memories very, that stand very, out? Very good, very good. Yeah. You know, it, it was at this, she had this career long. She was always around the same time as Justin Anna, mm. two Belgians, very yeah. different players. Um, but so, Kim was much more the athletic of the two, and and you know there were the Williams sisters around and people like that. So it it, it wasn't it wasn't an easy time, but she uh, she came through, and she especially on a hard court, she was. Do you think, 
I mean, with touching it already, it is almost like she's coming back to a different game, isn't she? A different sport. When she came back in 2009, perhaps it wasn't too dissimilar to the to the matches she'd been playing in 2004, three, four, five. But now, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm being a bit dramatic, but it seems a different scene. Yeah. with interest she's uh, reunited with her fitness trainer Sam Verslagers and will be focusing on conditioning in what is effectively now her pre-season um, and as a former world number one Clysters will be eligible for unlimited wild cards um, I guess I, I guess on the flip side whilst we're talking about the women's game as a really as a kind of a young woman's game now with Gorf and with Andreescu the fact that she Kleisters has looked at Federer, Serena and Venus and thought she can pull off a return at 36, 23 years after she turned pro. It, it is a, it's a hallmark, isn't it, of the way tennis now, the way we think of it, is just completely different, isn't it? The length of careers. It's, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? Um, and speaking of comebacks, Andy Murray has used his uh, protected ranking to secure uh, Great Britain a place at January's inaugural ACP Cup. Um, there's $15 million of prize money to be had and 750 ranking points. Um, no doubt this seems to be a good thing, Barry. Well, it's a good thing for British tennis. Yeah. Um, and give us a name player in his competition because Kyle Edmonds, regrettably, hasn't exactly set the world on fire this year. <laughs> Dan Evans can you know, always come up with a result when we least expect it. Um, I... What I've seen of the Andy Murray comeback so far, and, and I applaud him for, for trying it because I was I was in that uh, that Melbourne interview room when he when he effectively broke down and, and, and just you know, admitted he couldn't do it anymore. So to to go through the surgeries he's had and, and remain optimistic and try it, then then that's all good. But you know his his form. In the Rafa Nadal Challenger, now in Mallorca, probably expected a bit more than that from him. Mm. I know it's still early days, and, and I know I'll be accused of being a Murray knocker again. Um, but I, I just, what I don't like seeing is once great players and, and great and overused word, but um, in terms of British, Murray is certainly great. Once great players looking all. And, and I just don't want Andy Murray to end up looking ordinary after what he's done for British tennis previously. He says he's playing about 150 in the world level tennis at the moment. GB are also going to play in the 18-team Davis Cup finals in November. They've been drawing yeah. Drew P with Kazakhstan and the Netherlands. If we win that group, um, I'm saying we, some of you might not be British, you're listening. Uh, if GB win that group... 
Uh, they will play one of Argentina, Germany or Chile. I mean, should Murray even get into the team? He's He's been t- touching on this himself. It's a bit of an awkward situation, isn't it, really? Well, I mean, everything selection-wise is normally done on rankings. So the answer to that is, is an emphatic no. <laughs> um, but, you know, you, you ask any British tennis player, possible exception of Dan Evans, who will always say what he really thinks. Mm. Um, and, you know, they will all say, well, yeah, Andy Murray's Andy Murray, isn't he? You know, I'll, I'll certainly give up my place for him. Um, Jamie Murray, interestingly, had been quite quiet on this subject. Um, mm. he, he, he had suggested that Murray would, well, Andy Murray would get the nod over Skupski playing doubles with him, um, he'd kind of tentatively well, suggest it. Is it Leon Smith? Because it, yeah, well, it should be. Mm. You know, Leon will go with Andy every single time. Right, yeah, yeah. But then, uh, yeah, it is a tricky one, because obviously Skubski and Jamie had a really good run in the US, and uh, I, I don't know, I, I've not been particularly impressed with the way Andy's been playing doubles as well since his comeback. He's, he's not set the world light, apart from that Queen's run, which was sensational. Yeah. Apart from that. Yeah. Um, but Murray also, he was, um, there was quite a lot of quotes coming out because he was, uh, he was uh, at a uh, collagen supplement launch in London on, on Thursday. So uh, lots of quotes coming out. And he also expressed his frustration over the two clashing team events, um, of course, of the, the ATP oh, Cup. and. Yeah, totally. It is a mess, isn't it? Yeah, without doubt. Yeah. Know, I mean, alphabet soup gone mad again. Yeah. Um, and it's just <laughs> the fact that the ATP and the ITF just can't agree on anything because neither will, will concede any ground to the other one. Um, yeah. Doesn't do the sport tennis any good at all. No, not at all. And, and Federer has waded in a little bit, calling it the, um, he called the Davis Cup uh, finals the PK Cup. So obviously, it's backed by Gerard Piquet's company. Um, yeah, well, there's, there's, a bit, there's a bit of um, personal angst involved there. Because, yeah. Because the, the, the ATP Cup, for a while, looked like it was going to step into the Labour Cup's time zone. And right. the Labour Cup right. is, of course, run by Roger Federer's company. Yes. So, uh, well, totally. Totally. You could easily call the Labour Cup the Federer Cup, really. So I thought that was a bit rich. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit rich, wasn't it? Um, but back to Murray. Um, He'll be playing four weeks in a row, he's announced, with appearances at Zhuhai, the China Open in Beijing. Well, that's a, um, that's a tough call. I mean, having yeah. been to China this time of year, <coughs> it's not the most convivial of places even now. Right, right. And, um, you know, when you finish playing, you just retire to your hotel room and uh, there's not much else to do. So, I, not that Andy Murray was particularly... Uh, Visualizer, you know, he just has his team around him, so they'll be around him wherever he is. But uh, I, I don't know if four weeks in a row, given the, the, the amount of tennis he's played recently, is a good idea. But let's yeah. just see if he actually plays four weeks in a row, shall we be poor? Yeah, well, yeah, like, absolutely. He's, he's due to, he's taking a wild card to Shanghai Masters and then he'll go to Antwerp in mid October. Um, he's lifted the title, of course, in Shanghai three times, 2010, 2011 yeah, and 2016. never forget, the thing that really caused the hit problems to yes. the mountain, 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 was 
that run that he had when he got to number one, mm. uh, how many years ago is that, three or four, when he just played tournament after tournament after tournament, mm. and uh, and after it, he, he was effectively, you know, on a one-way collision course with the surgeon's knife, because he just played himself, played his hip into a position where it, it just needed serious treatment. He's, uh, he's said he doesn't have any limitations in what he can do now. Um, but with, yeah, like you say, we're still waiting to see if it's going to manifest itself in any good results. I just wanted to ask quickly, Barry, what are your memories covering, covering that famous Davis Cup run in 2015? Because that's kind of, I guess, I don't know, it's that time of year again. It's coming up to Davis Cup finals and we'll talk about the team tennis. Well, my memories, my, my memories of the run were some of the great atmospheres uh, that we had in Glasgow. I, I think... Anyone was there would never forget them um, because that, in terms of British tennis support, was one one shouldn't really criticise Wimbledon, but it was so unWimbledon like it was it was it was like a football crowd, uh, and, and in terms of patriotism and in terms of fervour and uh, in terms of just adulation of their heroes mm. out there, uh, it was great to see. In terms of the final. Um, I remember, I remember Jamie emerging from the uh, from the locker rooms mid-match and being told off by his brother, who was on court at the time, and saying, stop where you are. Uh, I remember that yeah. brilliant backhand lob that, oh. uh, that, that won it. Um, and I still remember, with an element of pain, uh, the celebrations of the fun. Why, why pain? I remember I remember the next morning when when um, you know everyone was still in a feeling of somewhat elation the uh, the team even including the the normally mild manner Carl Edmund deciding it was time to have a go at the LTA um, yeah. Yeah. so there was there was a lot to remember of uh, of that year yeah what can I I can imagine, yeah, the, the, the LTA comments probably weren't welcomed by uh, you lot as well after you'd had a, like, the, the, the night before's revelries. You had to suddenly type up another 800 words, I imagine, uh, <laughs> on the, on yeah. this whole criticism of the LTA. It was, uh, yeah, it was quite bizarre, wasn't it? Um, I wouldn't call it unjustified. Yep. I wouldn't, certainly wouldn't call it unjustified because the LTA were sort of going around patting themselves on the back thinking we cracked it. And uh, I don't quite know how much the LTA had to do with Britain actually winning the Davis Cup that year. Yeah, well, Andy Murray became the only man, of course, to win all his singles matches in a in a world stage um, Davis Cup since it had been started in 1980. So it was wasn't the effort of a of a nation or of an organisation, was it? It was pretty much just one man. And we do hope he'll be uh, moving on to uh, more depressing news. Uh, Diego Matos, a Brazilian tennis player, has been banned from professional competition for life and fined over £100,000 uh, after being convicted of multiple match-fixing offences. Um, so this is for um, contriving the outcome of 10 tennis matches, apparently, across South America and in Spain and Portugal uh, and in Sri Lanka as well. Um, so he had been provisionally suspended December last year, and this is the follow-up. Um, Matos had a career best ranking of 241 in December 2018 
So I doubt many people had really heard of him before all this happened. I don't think we, us two, have either. Um, but it is, it's a massive cause of concern, isn't it, Barry? This, 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 this is happening away, a lot. It? You know, mm. it really isn't going away. I mean, it's, it's at a level of tennis, quite honestly, that nobody takes too much notice of. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's down on the, on, the, uh, on the shop floor of, of world tennis mm. and, and not in the, the pristine surroundings of a Grand Slam. Um, but the rules have been laid in place for, for some time. CIU, Tennis Integrity Unit, have been doing a, a sterling job. Um, it, it, it could be eradicated in much easier ways if, if, if the International Tennis Federation just ripped up this uh, this contract they have with the, with the um, stats company so all these betting things wouldn't right. be possible. But... Um, but that's how they made the money, I guess, right? Yeah, it? yeah. yeah. Well, they say they need the money, but um, you know, then there never seems to be a shortage of first-class air tickets for the president of the ITF to fly here, there, and everywhere. Mm. Um, and the players aren't seeing it either. That's it's exactly why this kind of thing is happening, right? Isn't it? Because you've you've got a case where you're playing tournaments where if you fix a bet, you're actually going to win more money than the player who's going to go on and win the title. I mean, we, we, we had a, a massive, didn't we, very expensive uh, review commissioned by the, the, the Grand Slam tournaments and the ITF and the ATP, uh, which cost far more money than anyone thought it would cost. And it didn't really come up with any great answers. Yeah. Um, you're, does the TIU have its hands full? Yes, it does at the moment, but it, it wants more It wants more assistance. And, you know, I mean... Look, the point is they have yet to catch a really big name. There have mm. been a few dubious ones that that, that certainly um, caused a ripple or two on it in a Grand Slam, but then they quickly faded away from some tennis. Mm. But the, the, the TIU have yet to... They're all normally, you know, around the sort of 250, 300 and lower mark. They haven't caught a household name. Um, and I'd... I'd Perhaps well, hopefully the household names don't get involved in this kind of thing. There was the case with Lopez, wasn't there, and uh, Dolgopolov. Like, but like you say, they never, they never got anything on them, did they? It was, it was always allegations, no. wasn't it? No, Davidenko was the only one really. Right. And you know, he he kind of stopped playing soon after, which you know, sort it I out. I leave you to all draw your own <laughs> conclusions. <on that> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's been 18 betting-related offences this year alone that TIU have um, have made um, made rulings on, and this is the third lifetime ban that's been delivered this year. Um, it, it is something that's that's happening regularly, um, and I, I I I see what you mean with it is an incredibly low level of tennis, but I guess that's that is kind of the problem, isn't it? Is it's it's a problem with the sport, isn't it? That for some reason, it can't sustain really good interest, can it, for 12 months of the year, even though we have a season that stretches the entire year. Because uh, really, this is the equivalent of kind of championship football, League One football, you'd yeah, say, wouldn't you? people that are doing this aren't tennis fans. They're just, they're just, right. they're just ga- gamblers um, yeah. that, that like the odds because, um, you know, there, there isn't a lot of... Um, law um, yeah. around 
the events where these tournaments are, you know, taking place. Yeah. And do you think, so you think it's either going to take a big case or do you think it's going to take a complete restructuring of the lower levels of tennis almost to, to, to make sure these players aren't going to become involved with match fixing by giving them enough prize money to sustain themselves? Well, they don't get a huge amount of prize money, and that's yeah. why that's that's a basic reason why this comes in because players are easily coerced into mm. taking a bung, as, as the saying goes. Yeah. Um, but th- this is a very heavy financial fight for, for this guy. Yeah. Um, and I suppose all they can keep doing, you know, sad to say, you're not going to stop people murdering people, but you've got to make the the strong as it possibly can to make people think, no, I'm not going to get involved. I don't want to do that. But, you know, if, if you just tell somebody, well, you can't play professional tennis ever again, they'll say, okay, it's, it's a fair cop. Never made a lot of money doing it anyway. And, and go on to do something else. Yeah. It's a tough one. It is a real tough one. And, and, and a lot of more legally intelligent people than me have tried to address it and not really come up with an answer. Well, on that heavy note, anyway, we'll call it a day. I think we've covered just about everything. We have, we have. Thank you very much. Thank you, Barry. Thank you, um, and we hope to do this again sometime soon.